With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This is John Middlecoff from 3 and Out with John Middlecoff. Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Grabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today is December 23rd, which means obviously we are deep into holiday season. Christmas just around the corner. So today, in line with that theme, Logan and I are going to be giving out our NBA holiday wish lists. Six things from each of us that we really wish would happen that would very much excite us if they did happen. And that's all we're going to do today. It's fun. It's positive. You know, things aren't necessarily the best in the association right now. Lots of COVID going around, but we're not going to dive into any of the dreariness. Okay, we've already talked about that. Now, time to be positive. Time to talk about what we would like to see in a perfect world. So with that, Logan, I will throw it over to you. What's the first item on your NBA holiday wish list? Uh, I'll start with my very own uh, Sacramento Kings, and uh, I want them to continue feeding Tyrese Halliburton and maybe explore trading De'Aaron Fox. And I know this comes off as a weird wish, but I think it, like thinking logically and pragmatically as a Kings fan, I think it would make a lot of sense. First of all, I want to start with what Tyrese has been doing, and this is something that I harped on a lot with Luke Walton as head coach. I said this multiple times on our podcast, Carson. Uh, I was kind of just tired of the miss and underutilization of Halliburton in this offense. He had a usage rate of under 16 uh, with Walton in at head coach. Uh, He would just have, you know, portions of games where he's disappearing. He's being used uh, completely and solely off ball, and that's not his role. He is showcasing now with Aaron Fox out what he can do with the ball in his hands and how he can run an offense. Um He's putting up 23.5 points, uh, 11 assists, and four boards a night on 53-50 splits over like the last four or five games. And, I mean, I think these numbers like this are expected with uh, the situation is it, uh, as it is with COVID, with guys out, with a new coaching in, uh, with a new coach in, you know, like, he's kind of their only good perimeter creator. So it's kind of, it's kind of expected that he'd be putting up these numbers. But, it, I mean, it's super impressive, like, He's getting burned with, like, Chemezi Metu out there, bro. We're getting way too much Metu out there uh, for Kings basketball. But Halliburton's still making this thing go and still making the Kings competitive. 
I also want to briefly say I really like the Emmanuel Moutier edition, Carson. I don't know if you've seen him, bruh. Look good with Tristan Thompson out there the other night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure Emmanuel Moutier is going to be great. You look unamused. Yeah, no, he's going to be great. He looked good, bro. He's going to be a good bench guard for this Kings team, bro. Anyway, Halliburton's been really good considering the situation. When I think you compare the two, like De'Aaron's a special player. You guys can go check out Carson's video on him. His speed is rare, the change of pace. Like, there's a lot of things that make him a very special player. But his jumper's been unreliable over the course of his career, and he's a bit of a ball stopper in this offense. Tyrese doesn't really have that issue. You know, the ball doesn't really stop moving. He's conducive to good winning offense. And, like, I don't want to paint this picture that he's, like, a, a star offensive engine now. I think Tyree still has a long way to go until he becomes the guy of an offense. You can still figure, you can still tell that he's figuring out how to maneuver and how to run an offense at times. You can tell that, you know, he relies on bailing out of a lot of shots really often. He can get loose with his handle and he can stagnate sometimes during possessions. Um, but to me, long term, there's just too many talented guys in the backcourt here to hold on to everybody. And I think Halliburton and Mitchell have a much higher uh, ceiling as a defensive backcourt. Um, the Kings already have a bad defense with Fox on the floor. They have the fourth-worst defense in the NBA this season. Um, or no, that's the, just the Kings themselves. With Fox on the floor, they have the worst defense in the NBA. Halliburton is in the 88th percentile of defensive points per possession. So is Mitchell. I just think you have a better defensive ceiling with these two of your future I don't think the ball stops as much and I don't really think De'Aaron Fox fits this timetable like again I think there's a lot of things that Fox does a lot better than Halliburton he gets downhill a lot easier he creates arguably easier offense but Halliburton's a special point guard and I wouldn't mind putting my stock in him as the future for the Kings at point guard like I just think again when you're looking at timetable when you're looking at depth when you're looking at other needs and when you're looking at the value that De'Aaron could get you across the league? Like, I don't know, man. I expect big things at this trade deadline, and I think you could fetch multiple first-round picks for Fox. I think you could get another young asset along in a move like that. I don't know who's biting on a deal like that, but I know that you can... Somebody's going to be willing to pull the trigger for De'Aaron Fox, uh, regardless of his issues. Like, I don't think the Kings are making a playoff push this year. If they are, it's for a 10 seed, and they're probably not going to get it anyway. I just... I don't know, man. I, I think it makes sense with their needs at other positions. You can go out and look for that four. You can go out and look for a long-term five. You know what I mean? I think you already have your two guards of the future in Halliburton and Mitchell. And uh, I don't know, man. I think I think they should at least test the waters and explore seeing what they could get for De'Aaron at the trade deadline or in the offseason. Like I said, don't rush to don't rush to trade Fox if the route, right trade isn't there. You want to get you know, adequate value for a star player like this. But I just think long-term with what Halliburton is showing us that he can do is an offensive engine, and I think he's only going to get better. I don't know, man. Test the water. See what he can get you. He's been struggling, and uh, I don't think he fits with the timetable of this team. Do you think I'm Do you think I'm jumping off the ship a little too early here, Carson? I think, look, no matter what, it's been a shocking fall from grace for De'Aaron Fox this year, who... Uh, Averaged 27 and 7 towards the back half of last season and was a historically productive fourth year guard. And now you look at him this year and it's the raw production is down across the board. He's putting up 21 and 5 and he's been abysmal shooting the ball from beyond the arc, 26% from deep, which remains just such a handicapping element in his game. It's been really frustrating and disappointing. I think that the important consideration here is this 
De'Aaron Fox has to uh, play almost more perfect basketball, I would say, to be an asset who you are going to build everything around. And the reason for that, I would say, is that he is less malleable stylistically. You talk about him being a bit of a ball stopper, right? He is going to be, by the nature of how he plays as his explosive on-ball guard, a ball-dominant, high-volume player. And sometimes, given his issues as a jump shooter, that means that he's also going to be inefficient. And then that's going to hurt your offense as a whole. What we've seen from Halliburton since the day he stepped into the league is that he can play multiple roles really, really well. And it doesn't mean that he's going to be De'Aaron Fox 27-7 and or that he has that same high-end star, oh my God, two guys in the NBA can do that kind of skill. I mean, I genuinely think De'Aaron Fox is the single quickest player in basketball. But what he has is the ability to be a great catch-and-shooter, to be productive in transition. He's been unbelievably unselfish in this stretch where he has been running point and is just a good decision-maker, just a guy who keeps the ball moving and doesn't do a ton of things that wow you, but he's got good feel out of the pick-and-roll. He understands how to put guys in positions to succeed, and then he's going to score efficiently, and he's going to contribute on the defensive end. So the question with De'Aaron Fox is almost, do we think he's good enough to be a number one on a great team? Or maybe, you know, a 1B. Like, he is going to consume a ton of touches. He's going to try to give you 25 and 7 a night, and you need that from him on solid efficiency. Tyrese Halliburton could score 16 points per game for you and just do a bunch of things right, and it's not like, wow, okay, we're paying this guy $40 million a year. We've put everything in him. It's just he's a really good player, and it's kind of like, if you're looking at Fox, the Russell Westbrook dilemma, right? If De'Aaron Fox does not refine some of the things in his skill set, if he doesn't find a way to be more efficient and more productive as a jump shooter, well, then you have this immensely talented guy, but also a guy who isn't super easy to always fit alongside other players or in multiple roles, then it's okay. Is he worthy of the volume of touches and the money that we would need to give him to retain him? And he has to prove that right now because this year he has not been playing at this level. This year he has been playing like a guy, again, just in a vacuum out of the 20-something games who you would not want on your team. And that's not at all what he was last year, but the essential flaws in his game have always been the same. It's just been a lot uglier this year. And he needs to figure out those kinks or I understand where you're coming from here. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is I'm when you're... I mean, you you put a bow on it really well. Like, when you play basketball like De'Aaron Fox plays, like, it's a lot easier for a guy like Tyrese Halliburton to just step in and play winning basketball. And you say, I agree with you on the star upside thing. It's like I don't really see those same kind of star guard traits with Halliburton. He does some things really well. Like, I think his vision, man, like uh-huh. his he can make cross-court reads and cross-court passes effortlessly. Like, he is a really good passer and floor general and just has tremendous vision. I still do have, like, a little bit of a jump shot concern with Halliburton as well, too, man. Like, off the dribble, it's kind of hard with his, like, catapult-style kind of shot, you know, where he's got to set his feet and kind of chuck it. That scares me too long-term, but it's like I trust Halliburton and Mitchell to play winning basketball. And again, I don't know if either of those guys are number ones or number twos, but I know they can play consistent, good winning basketball no matter the situation. And yeah, man, De'Aaron Fox really does have a little bit of that Russell Westbrook in him. 
And my thing is, if he is going to consistently struggle with with his jumper like this, with his efficiency like this, I don't know, man. Maybe it's time to, like I said, maybe it's time to shop his value before he loses some of it. You know what I mean? Because I do think, I think it's like you said, man. I think you got to put a lot of pieces around him to make it work and to maximize him. you got to put a lot of good shooters. And, I mean, look, the Kings have been a great offense every year with Fox. Like, it's been good enough. I think there are other ways to better maximize him. Do you think there's a market at all? Like, is a contender looking to... Because it's hard. Because because of his limiting factor as a poor jump shooter, like, I don't know if there's any teams that are genuinely, you know, really interested in him. Do you think there's a there'd be a decent market if the Kings tried to shop him? I do. And I don't think now is the time to shop him ultimately because his value has never been lower. I mean, this is genuinely the worst basketball he's played since his rookie season if you're just looking at this year as a whole so if you're telling me well just last year this guy was a fourth year player who put up 25 and 7 on solid efficiency and had some unbelievable star traits that popped consistently now it just seems like a lot of that is going wrong you don't want to trade him after 28 bad games so I absolutely think that there would be a market but I think you need to ride this year out. Like, I just still think he is clearly the most talented player on their roster. The question is just, is it the kind of talent that can be harnessed and that can lead to winning? And that's what's always tough to say about younger guys. And especially, I mean, when he is playing awful defensively, like he has been this year. I mean, he's letting people shoot 51% when he's their primary defender. So it's just all these things that have always been either question marks or inconsistencies or sometimes flaws in his game, it's like they've all just flared up and been consistently major issues this year. And am I going to look at that version of De'Aaron Fox and say, yeah, that's the guy I want to put on the market? No. I would wait it out. I still think he can be special. I mean, I literally made a video right before the season called Why De'Aaron Fox is Way Better Than You Think because that's what he was last year. I mean, he can be a... Very special scoring, playmaking engine. He has the athletic tools and the instincts to be a plus defender. Like, he can be this otherworldly transition force. It's just about, really, him locking in consistently, making good decisions, and shooting 35% from three. And if he does those things, yeah, I think De'Aaron Fox can be clearly an all-star level player. I mean, he was last year. So... I am hesitant to say that I am out on him. I am hesitant to say, hey, let's build around anybody else. And yeah, I know he's 24, and maybe he doesn't perfectly fit their timetable, but I'm not a huge fan of trading 24-year-olds playing at a star level ever. But he needs to get back to that star level, that's for sure. Do you believe in, do you believe in Halliburton and Mitchell long-term? I think that they are both very sure things to be good players. I mean... Tyrese Halliburton, dude, just the second he came into the league, it was very apparent. Davion is one of the most special instant impact perimeter defenders we've ever seen. And once his three-point shot stabilizes, I mean, we've seen what he can do as a facilitator. We've seen enough of the flashes of pick-and-roll scoring and pull-up jump shooting where it's like, yeah, he's going to do enough to just be a guy who I want on my team. And that's always the thing that you have to weigh out here is – there's guys who can be good super role players, quality starters, and then there are guys who can either be legitimate stars or 
They're guys who you have to treat like stars, but they're actually having a negative impact on winning. And those are the differences between Halliburton and Mitchell and the crossroads that De'Aaron Fox is at right now. And I'm optimistic about Fox. I want to be. But this year, a lot of the things that I certainly do not like to see in winning basketball players have been an issue for him. So this is an interesting one. I'll start with my first one here, which features another Kentucky guard and very predictable, but I just want to see a healthy Jamal Murray again, man. I mean, is there anything I want more in the world? And it's apparently not going to happen very soon. They are saying he is not close to return. Michael Malone laughed about the idea that there was some return date for Jamal Murray set in February, which is really not good. But hey, still gives him time before the postseason, and I just want to see him look like himself. Because, Logan, we have talked about the clear top three teams in the Western Conference and then how there is just this massive drop-off. Grizzlies have been playing really well as of late, but everybody else is just like, oh, there is some really ugly stuff. The Nuggets right now have to be in that category because they have one very good player on their roster with MPJ out. Aaron Gordon, sure, if you want to throw him into that conversation as well. And they have solid role guys, but it's just not enough, obviously, for them to be even bordering on contention. But with Jamal Murray, even though I don't think they could be title contenders, I think they definitely could be that fourth team out West. And that, to me, would be enough to be redeeming and to make me smile a little bit because they've had so many tough breaks. While, by the way, Nikola Jokic is having one of the greatest seasons of all time. I mean, he's putting up 26-13-7 on 59-38-76 splits. That's 66% true shooting with plus 26 on off splits. That's like the best I've ever seen from any player if he were to stay in that for an entire year. He is playing better than last year right now, which I frankly didn't know if that was possible. I mean, look, nobody has been saying that Jokic is the best player on the planet for longer than I have. I know that there have been times where I've thought, Okay, maybe I'm not sure about that, but I put that out there midway through last season. I don't think a lot of people were doing that, and he has taken it up another level since then. And I just think we know what this team is with these two out there. Last season, when Jokic and Murray played together, the Nuggets had an offensive rating of 122 and a net rating of plus 11.5. Last time we saw healthy playoff Jamal Murray, who is a different beast because the man is just built like that. We've seen it twice now, and he's only been there twice. He averaged 26.5 and 6.5 on 50-45-90 splits, was one of the most special shot makers that I've seen in my life, had improved playmaking, which then regressed next year, so I don't know if that can be sustained, but it was unbelievable. And as a team, they went to the Western Conference Finals with MPJ being a non-factor. I mean... He was a very mediocre role player at that point, and they didn't have an Aaron Gordon yet. So I know that it felt really deflating, obviously, when they lost MPJ for the year for good reason, and I think the top three teams out West are too good, but I do think we need to remind ourselves of how much success Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic have carried this team to with a solid supporting cast, which they still definitely have if they have a legitimate second star guy how much Jamal has elevated his game in the big moments in the past, and the fact that Nikola Jokic is probably the best player on the planet right now. So because of all those things, and also just because I love Jamal, man. He's an awesome competitor. He's an awesome guy. Very few people have as publicly expressed just how badly they want to be out there, and I feel for him. 
And I just really, really hope we get to see it this year. Because if we don't, man, windows in the NBA are obviously so finite and so valuable. And I don't want this to be a deal of, oh, well, Jokic was MVP. Then he was even better than that. And yet the Nuggets had no chance in either of those seasons because of injuries and things out of his control. And you can argue that it's already happened to them because of MPJ, but I would like to see some of that salvaged. And God, do I just want to see one of the most beautiful basketball players on the planet do his thing again because Jamal Murray is an artist. Are you still on like a Nuggets potential finals train? If no, like, like, are you still, you're not? No. I think the top three teams out West have much too strong of two-way foundations. I mean, much higher defensive ceilings. I think that they just have clearly more impact guys up and down their roster as far as depth. But I think the Nuggets can be that fourth team. I think they can win a playoff series. And I would just like to see them rewarded to some extent for what Jokic is doing and for hopefully having Jamal back. I mean... So do you really see that changing anytime soon? Like, what would you do if you're the Nuggets this offseason? Like, are you just going to try to run it back with MPJ and Jamal Murray and Jokic and hope that that's enough? Or, like, like how do, yes. you, get, how do you get in contention with this tough-ass West? No, they will be in contention when they have Michael Porter Jr. again, when they have one of the most efficient 20-point-per-game scores we've ever seen. It just sucks that they don't get that. But I'm not concerned long-term about what the Nuggets can be. I mean, I feel like they have put it all together, and that's what sucks is that – we haven't been able to see it because of health. But I'm very optimistic. It's not going to happen this year, but dude, just I'm so impressed by Jokic's determination and the fact that he's going out there every night yeah. and actually battling like this. And it would be so easy, especially just given his temperament before his MVP season and the fact that, you know, he didn't really care for the first couple months of the season always. And he like worked his way into shape. That he has come out like this, it's just amazing. And uh, that guy will never get enough credit. Until the day he retires, Nikola Jokic will not get enough credit. Yeah, I, I don't I think the I'm really excited to see Jamal back. I'm really excited to just see some just some weight lifted off of Jokic's shoulders, man, because it is a massive burden. I know they bring it up every night on uh they always talk about the burden that he has, but it really is insane. And I believe, man. I know this isn't really out of the ordinary for Jokic, dude. Over these last three or four games, I think he's averaging like nine and a half assists a night, dude. It's it's nuts, man. Jokic is is unreal. Let me ask you this. What does he have to do this season to get in the MVP conversation? Like, I know he's probably three right now. Like, where does he have to be at the end of the year to genuinely be in that convo? Well, he's having one of the best seasons of all time, right? But the precedent will tell you that being 500 like they are right now is just not enough given how strong the cases for Steph Curry and Kevin Durant are too because they're blending the individual dominance with the team success. So I think no matter what, it's going to be very, very hard for him to win the award because of that winning precedent, because Steph Curry and KD are just much bigger names and people will always give them the benefit of the doubt more than Jokic. And because Jokic won last year. And I think people still somehow resent that and try to discredit that and say, oh, it was a product of other dudes getting hurt. And those people are stupid, but alas, probably the majority. And because of those factors, I mean, I genuinely don't see how it happens. Like, it sucks. 
maybe if they were a top four seed, but I think the drop-off between three and four is going to be so significant, and I think the Warriors are going to win 60 games. The Nets are going to win 55 games. So it's going to be tough for even if the Nuggets win 47 to look at that and say, well, here are all three of these guys with this outstanding individual production. Yes, Jokic is maybe the best. Jokic's job may have been the hardest, but still, I don't know that that'll be rewarded. And by the way, if the Nuggets win 47 games, holy shit, that means Jokic went insane because they do not have a 47-win roster right now. (laughs) I can't believe we get a holy shnikes bar on the pod out of Carson. Yeah, that's not what I said. I have said holy shnikes before, though. We got to keep this. This is a good Christian uh, sports channel, Carson. You know, we can't. I'm sorry, a good Mormon uh, sports channel. We can't. Uh, we can't curse here. Nah, see, I hold my punches, but when I bring them out, the people know that it means something. All right, what else is on your holiday wish list, Logan? Um, this just happened. Uh, but I'm gonna give uh my next wish is for the Atlanta Hawks, and that it's one uh to give Cam Reddish more playing time. I'm now on the boat with Carson here. Oh yeah. And to find a decent bench, please. Dear God. First, we'll start with Cam. I called it, man. I was mad. Nobody liked my tweet. Nobody retweeted it. Nobody even looked at it, man. Nobody even glanced on it. They all just kind of like scrolled up to their feet. I tweeted before the Magic game, or basically as the Magic game was starting, Cam just came out hot, man. He hit like these two step back, like off the dribble, uh, like midi jump shots. And you could just tell, man, like Cam had this like confidence and feel about him. Like it just looked like he was about to ball. And I said, big Cam Reddish game loading. He dropped 34 points, a career high for him. He shot 11 of 23 from the field, uh, 6 of 10 from deep. And I just think at this point, man, can we finally say that he's their best? Like Cam Reddish is the Hawks' second best perimeter creator. Like I just think Bogey has sucked to, like, high hell this season, man. Like, he has blown. When you look at his efficiency, it's not that bad. He's putting up 11 on, like, 44-38 splits. And I don't mean that we should start Cam Reddish because I think he's actually, like, an ideal six-man of this team. I just think you give him more PT, dude. Carson can talk to talk until uh, he can talk for the entire day about Cam Reddish's skill set and all the star traits that he has, how good he is defensively. I'll let you give a little Cam Reddish spiel here in a minute. I think the bottom line is they need to give him more minutes. They need to let him run this bench unit. And more importantly than letting Cam Reddish run this bench unit, because I like it when the ball is in his hands, he shares it, man. He is looking for his shots when he needs to. And like I said, he's just one of those guys that when he gets stupid confident can serve buckets like this. But I think the more important thing is getting some people who are competent. Like, I came on here last show, Carson. I was talking about how excited I was to see these G League guys and to see these bench warmers get PT and this and that. The ugly side of COVID is seeing the teams that have no bench, the teams that have mm-hmm. no depth whatsoever. And oh my God, the Hawks have nobody. Thread your starting Gorgie Diang, they're running DeLon Wright. DeLon Wright sucks, okay? Like, I saw him being discussed in, like, it's a big trade deadline move for contending teams. The guy blows. He had had a bunch of turnovers in the Magic game. Look clueless. He stinks. Skylar Mays is out there getting big minutes. You have Lance Stevenson back out there for the Hawks. Like, 
I know everybody's got a lot of guys out with COVID. The Hawks desperately need to find a decent bench for this roster, man. It is it's embarrassing. We did see a little bit of Jalen Johnson and Sharif Cooper. I like what I saw to Sharif. Sharif did look good. He didn't score at all, but he was facilitating all right. He was getting downhill. And Jalen looked okay. But, like, dude, genuinely, I, I don't know, man. The Hawks have one of the worst benches in the league, in my opinion, or at least, like, the worst, maybe not in totality, because you still have, like, Gallo and you got Herder, but... The bottom guys at the end of this bench blow, and I hate their backup one and five. I wish DeLon Wright and Gorgie Diang could be Thanos snapped away from the universe. Wow. I don't like those guys at all. Yeah. That's Give Cam Reddish more playing intense. time. Revamp the bench, bruh. Well, look, things haven't exactly gone according to plan for the Hawks this year. It's been brutal defensively. Obviously, they can never be fully healthy with what DeAndre Hunter is going through and all that. And Cam Reddish, yeah, can be a bright spot at times. I think that he had an unbelievable performance, and I mean, he is liable to do this. The guy is so skilled, is so smooth, such an aesthetically pleasing scorer, unbelievable jump shooter at his height when he's locked in, and he's been like 40% from deep this year. The thing is, there's still a lot of flaws with Cam. I mean, there's very limited playmaking feel. He really likes to score. And he's not as big on the passing side of it. And just his overall game inside of the arc, beyond the pull-up jump shooting, it's not always there. And he's very reliant on the jump shooting overall. I mean, he has some smooth takes to the bucket. He just doesn't do it consistently enough. So I'm all for playing Cam Reddish, but I also feel like they've done that this year. I mean, he's getting 23 minutes a night. I don't know that he needs a whole ton more than that. I think that that's about what he has proven that he deserves. And I know Bogey's been disappointing, but I just can't get on board with that. I mean, I just think Bogey's a superior facilitator. I think he has much more advanced feel and pace out of the pick and roll. And I think that he is still a better pure shooter of the basketball. It's been a terrible year, and I can't deny that. But I just don't want to overstate what Cam Reddish is because it's like you're playing the lottery every single game. You have no idea what you're going to get from him. And sometimes it's really fun, and sometimes it sucks. But I do think at least he is settled at the point where you can say confidently, that's a guy who I want on my team. And last year, you couldn't have even said that because the shot was so poor and inconsistent. And I'm very pleased with that fact. It's a guy you want in your rotation. Um, I don't know, dude. I don't know what the hell happened to that bogey that we saw. for, for it, was, it was a glorious, like, 13 or 14 games, man. It was a lot of fun. I don't know what happened to that guy. I'd really like him back, though. He scored 22 a game on fantastic efficiency for 20-something games last year. And the Hawks were winning, like, 80% of their games when he was doing it. I used to have all those stats off the top, off the top of my head. I don't anymore. But it's a bummer. There are definitely flaws in the Hawks bench. Don't get me wrong. And now they've got Lance Stevenson join along for the party, which is pretty funny. A lot of DeLon Wright hate. He's had a bad year, but I think DeLon Wright still does a lot of things well. And he's having a bad year. What do you want from him? Things are not going according to plan in Atlanta. I will agree. But also, you know, overall, the offense has been very good. And things have gotten better from where they looked to be at one point. Maybe, but it's just the defense, man. And now, obviously, with the COVID stuff, it's not pretty. But that's the case for a lot of teams around the league. All right. I love Cam Reddish talk. Don't get me wrong. And I will never complain about that. 
I'm going to take things up a notch here with a guy who's a little bit more relevant, though, in the scheme of things. Although, again, trust me, I love Cam Reddish talk. I would really like to see normal Luka Doncic. And uh, it's been a rough year for Luka. He's now missed his last five games with an ankle sprain, and now he's in health and safety protocols. And it very consistently has underperformed this year. And you can look at the raw production, and it's fine. It's not quite up to expectations, putting up 25 and a half, eight and eight and a half. But, I mean, there's so many things wrong beyond that. The efficiency is way down. He's doing it on 45, 33, 70 splits. All of those numbers down at least 2% from last year. His true shooting percent percentage is down four and a half percent. He's at a career low in free throw attempts by more than one a game. That includes, obviously, when he was a rookie and was not this superstar level player yet. His turnovers are up. And there's just a lot of things that you look at efficiency-wise, winning-wise, and they're very troubling. The Mavs have been 10 points per 100 possessions better with him off the floor. Hideous number for any player, but especially, you know, the Wunderkind. This guy is supposed to be the greatest player we've ever seen. And I've expressed confidence in him being down the line, a top three player of all time, especially offensively. These are things that I have said. His defense has been atrocious. Like he's letting people shoot 4% better than average when he's their primary defender. His fouls are up. And offensively, I know that people have talked about how it doesn't seem like he's in shape. I would agree with that. And you see it (laughs) reflected not just in his raw performance, but in how he plays too. Like, It's just like the engagement isn't fully there. He's posting up nearly twice as much as he was last year. And I liked it when he added the postgame more to his arsenal last year. And we started seeing more of the turnarounds. And he was super efficient. And it was like, hey, how the hell do you guard this guy if he's going to be one of the best pick and roll scorers and facilitators in basketball, but also at 6'8", can bruise you, can kill you with his unbelievable touch. And sometimes you're guarding him with point guards. Like, what are you going to do with Luka Doncic? But now it's like, okay... He's taken it up another level, and it feels like it's partly, well, I don't want to have to explode and create from the perimeter all the time, so I'm just going to become like this weird big wing back-to-the-basket player because it's less physically draining, and his efficiency is way down out of the post. He's gone from an 83rd percentile score to a 57th percentile, and it's just not his best basketball. So kind of in every conceivable way, things have gone south for Luka Doncic this year, and That's just not the progression you expect when a guy is the best 21-year-old ever and last year ended his season putting up 36, 8, and 10 on 49% from the field and 41% from three and had one of the best playoff series I've ever seen from anybody after this all-time season in which he got better after he had already been the best 20-year-old who he had ever seen. So it's just like, I don't know, man. It's disappointing. Again, the fitness... Not there. Now the health, not there. The engagement, not fully there on either side. And Luka just is built to be a guy who settles, man. He's not built to be a guy who can coast through. His game is, and he does a lot of things exceptionally well, but fundamentally, at 6'8", with my change in pace, my physicality, my touch, I can get into the lane whenever I want. And from there, you're screwed, right? You're picking your poison. I'm throwing the lob. I'm kicking to a shooter. I'm putting up the floater. I'm finishing through contact. I'm drawing a foul. You're done. I get you in jail. I get that defender on my back. And there is nothing anybody can do. And when he's just a little bit lazy and he doesn't do that as much, 
and he wants to do more of the posting up and the jump shooting and the step backs have been super inconsistent this year. You're just not getting the best version of Luka Doncic. And I know he's not happy with how some things have gone in Dallas. And he's certainly a guy who can be temperamental. And I can see how his emotions would affect his play and his willingness to be engaged and put his best foot forward. But it sucks. I still like watching Luka. But he should be one of my absolute favorite players to watch. And this year, I just find way more things that I'm frustrated and disappointed with than ever before, where it's felt like, oh, wow, this guy's pretty much perfect offensively. I mean, but it's such a tough job. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm not, I, I, the only, like, I think the, I don't know if I'm, I I heard this stat somewhere. I don't want to get it wrong. I think that him, SGA, and Trey Young are averaging, like, the three most drives in basketball per game. Like, I understand your frustrations, but it's like there's no release valve whatsoever here in Dallas. Like, the release valve is Jalen Brunson, you know? The guy that to help relieve his load is Jalen Brunson. They've looked uh, yeah. better with Jalen Brunson, though. So what's his excuse for that? I don't know, man. It's a it's a tough gig. I I get that you're like I understand like the 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 play style, the fitness stuff, like all that definitely needs to be fixed. But it's also like, dude, this is one of the most he's tasked with one of the most difficult jobs in basketball. Like it's. It's not Jokic level of difficulty in carry job, but it's damn it's damn close. Okay. But how can you give a guy credit or put him on that same level when Jokic is carrying his team from being basically the worst ever to the best ever statistically, right? And Luka's team is running more smoothly with Jalen Brunson out there and has been significantly better without him. Like, I don't think it's an apt comparison. And you set expectations for yourself. I get that it's not good enough. We've talked about how it's not good enough and how if they want to be a championship contender, they need to do more. They need to put a legitimate great secondary ball handler alongside Luka and add more star-level players and make these changes. Everybody knows that. Nobody denies that. That is not an excuse, though, to not perform and to actually hurt your team. And if you're saying that this is okay because it's like a season-long little mini temper tantrum and it's like, hey, this job is really hard. I don't want to do it all the time anymore. I'm not with that. I don't think that's cool. And Luca is, as special as he is, not in a position, I don't think, in year four to say, hey, it's unfair that we aren't winning championships yet. I understand it because he comes into the league and by year two is a top seven, eight guy in basketball and an all-time talent. And it's things have not been handled well enough in Dallas. But I don't think that's an excuse for Luka not being what we expect out of Luka. And regardless, it doesn't change what I want to see, which is just Luka being the best version of Luka and continuing to improve and eventually being the best player on the planet. Like all these things that we've expected for him and almost written in as like certainties. I need yeah. to see that progression and I want to. I want to give Luca some more help. Everybody wants to give Luca more help. But guess what? What is Jokic doing with no help right now? He's stepping up and he's playing his best basketball ever. That's what I want to see out of the great guys, man. You don't get a whole ton of excuses when you're one of the most talented basketball players we've ever seen. You just don't. And guess what? I'm more empathetic to your cause a lot more empathetic if you are out there 
doing your thing every night. Because guess what? I've never said, hey, this is a Luka thing before. I've always said, get the man more help. Get more talent around him. But I'm just not going to excuse subpar performance from him because of that. I don't know, bro. I just think... I don't know, dude. I I just I I get your sentiments. I just disagree. <laughs> I just think you're I just think you're being too hard. I think you're being too All hard right. on Luca. Well, regardless, at the end of the day, my take isn't Luca Doncic sucks. This is my wish list. I want to see Luca be the best version of Luca. Yeah. And no matter well, we what, all do. we all want we cannot we all deny want Luka that Luca has not been close to the best version of Luca. All right, that's what I want. What's the third thing on your wish list here? I concur. I want the Lakers to blow absolutely everything up. Um, we can get that off the table. Obviously, LeBron is the GM of this team, like he was for the Cavs, like he was for the Heat. He does what he wants. He has the power to do whatever he wants. And the last time, I think we both remember Carson, uh, LeBron being this visibly agitated on the floor, man. Like, he looks visibly frustrated during games. 2018, sitting at 31-22, and 22, the Cavs literally traded away everybody. Isaiah Thomas, Channing Frye, Derrick Rose, Jay Crowder, Joe Johnson, Dwayne Wade, they all got dealt away in, you know, three swift moves at the 2018 trade deadline. So, I, th- I want to see something like that go down this season, man. Um, I think the Lakers should, should make a ton of moves uh, at the deadline. And it sucks, though, Carson, because... I think the guys that I definitely want gone, you need to move off of one of the big men. You need to move either Dwight or DeAndre Jordan, in my opinion. Both Having them both here is pretty redundant. Uh, Melo can stay. I would move off of Rondo. Um, it sucks because of the contract situation because if they're going to get back any tangible assets, you basically can only make two moves, and that's a deal with THT, more players in a pick, and a deal with Kendrick Nunn and more players in a pick. Um, THT is on a $10 million a year contract. None is on a $5 million a year contract. Everybody else is on player minimums. So, I mean, you basically, if you want salaries to match up and everything, you basically have two trades that you can pull the trigger on. I've heard a lot of Jeremy Grant buzz, Carson. I don't really get that one because he tore ligaments in his thumb like two weeks ago. He's going to be out till early February. I'm hearing a lot of trade rumors for the Lakers to go out and get him. Personally, I think they either need to make a move with Indiana or, or just explore some other guys that are available. Um, if that's getting one of the star guys, a Miles Turner, a Karis Levert, if that's getting a really high-impact role guy like Holiday, Craig, Lamb, or McConnell, if they are selling house, I would go out and I'd make a move with Indiana to get something like, uh, you know, you're missing Alex Caruso. You go out and get TJ McConnell, a guy that can run your bench and can uh, – really anchored the perimeter of a defense. Jeremy Lamb, a really good 3-and-D uh, catch-and-shooter. Justin Holiday, a really good 3-and-D. Or Torrey Craig, kind of a Swiss Army knife. I think one of those guys to just help your bench move things along. And then maybe I marked down three other guys. Uh, Terrence Ross, I think, makes a lot of sense. The Magic kind of just in a state of flux. Like, Ross is just serving buckets out there. The Lakers need more perimeter creation. I think Ross would help that out a lot. I think Devontae Graham would be interesting uh, from New Orleans um, if you could make a move with them. He's also kind of toiling away on a losing squad, not going to do anything this year. Could really help just give the Lakers another high-end perimeter creator. 
And then I wrote down Mike Muscala just because I think they need a stretch five alongside AD, and I'd really like to see that. I just think it would help with some spacing issues. Um, either way, I just want to see the Lakers blow everything up. I want to see them throw everybody in the trade, all in the trade block. I want to see them move everybody. You talked about this last episode and about how the Lakers aren't a true contender. If they don't do this, I think they have to do what we've been saying from day one, Carson, and that's give LeBron his 24 minutes, give uh, well, you know what I mean. Give them their own separate minutes and then overlap for 12 and just run them with shooters because uh, this isn't working. AD's out for a long time. You need to do drastic things to make a playoff push, to make a a delusional championship push. But uh, no, my wish list is for the Lakers to completely blow everything up, jumble the roster, and just try everything. Did <laughs> Sorry, bro, this is a tangent. I should have said this earlier. Did you see Trevor Ariza airball that free throw the other night, bro? Sure thing. Always good times. I'm a conscientious objector to any Lakers talk. So I'm thinking about if I should even comment on this. I thought we came to an agreement that we were never going to talk about the Lakers again. Look, Logan, this is not blowing everything up, okay? You're talking about trading like THT and Rondo. These guys aren't getting you legitimate assets back. The Lakers have no path to contention, okay? If they brought in Jeremy Grant, oh yeah, I want 33% from deep volume isolation score, another big lumbering guy like Jeremy Grant coming around. No way, man. No way do I need another primarily inside the arc, gotta have the ball scorer. There's nothing they can do. Then fine, let me rephrase this take. You've seen that meme, right? The little like uh, dude with the with the mask on and he's got the stick and he's poking at a... Uh... I've seen every meme. And he's poking, and it says, do something. Well, that's what I want the Lakers to do. I want the Lakers to do something, bro. Literally anything uh, that isn't this. Do you think anybody would trade for Russ, bro? Like, you think the Kings are stupid enough to trade for Russ? No. I don't think a single team in the NBA would trade for Russell Westbrook right now. I mean, I understand that the contract is now significantly less of a factor and that you're only going to have to deal with one more year. But let me rephrase that. No team is going to trade for Russell Westbrook and give the Lakers what they want because the Lakers are going to want immediate impact value and there's just no way that you're getting that. You are having to heap assets on with Russell Westbrook so some tanking team will have him and suffer through a year and a half of him being on their team. You're not getting anything legitimate in return for him and his $44 million this year. So that's fine, man. They can do whatever they want. If you want to look at this and say, hey, well, we think that this is a role player problem, I would say it's not a role player problem. Like, Mello has exceeded expectations. Malik has been very solid. Avery Bradley has been very solid. Austin Reeves, out of nowhere, has been a solid, respectable guy. Like, you can't put this on those guys. THT is frustrating, and he plays too much. But that's a weird Lakers thing where they have a THT fetish, and they want him to do that, apparently. And I don't know. They're looking for shot creation anywhere they can get it. They're just not doing anything, Logan. Swapping role players around means nothing. The Lakers are done. They could, at best, elevate their ceiling to be the fourth best team in the West this year. Yeah, I agree, and I think they should at least make the moves to make that happen. Like, you just, at the end of the day, my point here is that you have a lot of role players 
that are pointless in this rotation. I agree with the guys you earmarked. Mello, Malik Monk, Austin Reeves, uh, Wayne Ellington, Avery Bradley to an extent. You know what I mean? Like, I agree that these guys can work here, but I think that you have in having a Dwight and a DeAndre, I think that's a roster spot that you could free up for another perimeter creator to just play minutes. I think in THT and none, none, you don't know when he's coming back. I think just get off that contract and get a guy who's going to play. And then THT, it's like he's super inefficient. I just think you have got, and, and Rondo, Rondo's pointless here. I just think you have three or four roster spots that you could swap out effectively. Trevor Ariza as well included in that list. Um, I don't know. I just think you have guys that are kind of pointless here that you could swap out for more meaningful players. I'm not saying this is going to completely drastically change their outlook for their season. The bottom line is LeBron and Russ don't work, and Anthony Davis is potentially having the worst jump shooting season ever. So, no, I don't think it's a role player problem. It is most definitely a star player problem. But I think a movement of role players could do them something, make them marginally but- better. How are they trading bad role players, guys like Rondo, who aren't even in the rotation half the time, guys like Kendrick Nunn, who hasn't played, for good role players? They don't have picks to attach. They don't have their next three firsts. They have nothing. Yeah, I mean, they got some seconds, right? Who is... Like, not even really, actually. I don't think. They don't have their second-round pick this year. I know that. They don't have their second round pick in 2024. They have one second rounder they can attach, Logan. Like, the Lakers are done, man. They okay, are done. Okay. Finito. I- dead. They are dead, and they are not going to find a path to salvation. I'll restructure my take one last time. Sell the farm for Kessler Edwards and David Duke, okay? Throw it David all in. Duke Jr., David Duke Jr., to be very clear, of the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, fuck that other David Duke guy. That guy was a piece (laughs) of shit. All right. Lakers talk again, man. Always getting us fired up here at Nerd Sesh. All right. What's my next take? Here it is. It's about a team that just beat the Lakers pretty recently. I would really like to see Monty Williams win Coach of the Year this season. And... There's definitely some very good contenders for the award, man. I mean, Steve Kerr, obviously, making a very compelling case. I really, truly, Logan, and I'm going to look you in the eyes as I say this, cannot believe that these words are coming out of my mouth. But J.B. Bickerstaff is going to have a very strong case. I mean, the Cavs have overachieved expectations more than anybody in basketball, and I love them. And they're great. Billy Donovan, I think, is going to have to be in that conversation because the Bulls have been so impressive. But you look at the Suns, best record in the league at 25-5. and five, Been so great on both ends. And we talk about just the chemistry and the continuity and the consistency of their performances. They're 5-2 and two without Book. They're 7-1 and one without Aiden. And obviously, Monty did not get the award last year. A lot of people thought that he should have. He actually was not my pick. But this has been... Even more impressive to me, probably, because last year, sure, it was coming all together, but also, they were the healthiest team in the league, and they've gotten better. Like, it's just one of the most exceptional, not only result turnarounds, but culture flips in recent NBA history, to take on a 19-63 and team, and then the next year, obviously, win eight straight in the bubble, and then you post the second-best record in the league, and you go to the finals, and you lose in crushing fashion, and it feels like, okay... How are they going to continue to improve upon this? And 
They have another positive offseason, and a huge amount of credit has to go to James Jones, who's one of the best executives in basketball. But you add a couple more legitimate, valuable role players, and now you're not as healthy, but you're still winning at an even better clip, and you come out and you're off to a 25-5 and start. It's just unbelievable, man. And I think this is a spot where you just have to reward the guy who is coaching the best team in the league. I know that the Warriors are doing this without Clay, and the Cleveland Cavaliers are the four seed in the Eastern Conference. That's all crazy. But I think Monty deserves it. Plus, how could you not love Monty Williams? Again, this is my wish list. I don't have to be as objective and analytical as always here, okay? This is my wish list. This is what I want, and I want to see Monty Williams, a good man, a longtime NBA guy, a very smart, measured, likable character who has done an unbelievable job be rewarded for it. Mark it down on the wish list. No love for Taylor Jenkins in there. Yeah, Taylor Jenkins is also a fantastic coach and good call. He would be the fourth in that, no, the fifth in that top tier of candidates. It's going to be a great race this year. This dude really didn't have Ima Udoka in his coach of the year standings. Kind of a whack hmm? list, TBH. Um, Reverse coach of the year? Worst coach of the year? Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a really good call. Uh I think I think Monty deserves it, man. Like almost as a just I don't know, man. That's why I don't understand your thing about the Suns, dude. Like uh, the Suns I don't have a thing about the Suns. Yes, you do, bro. You're a Suns hater. Just admit it. I am so not a Suns hater. I have been the biggest Devin Booker advocate to not be a Phoenix Suns fan since the dawn of time. I love so many of their players. Okay? And guess what? I'm going to be right about them like not being, probably by the end of the year, presuming health for everybody, one of my top three title favorites. If they stay healthy, I would do a taco bet that they get further than the Jazz in the playoffs. Well, they'll have home court probably, so that's a factor. 100%. Well, okay, but if they're the one seed and the and the Jazz draw the Warriors in the 2-3, and I think the Warriors are better, and we know the <laughs> four seed in the West is going to suck, how is that bet a fair measure of who's actually a better team? It's not, and you know it. All right, then I would bet for the... Would you bet me? Would you bet against me if I said the Suns were going to the Western Conference Finals? No, because they're probably going to be in one of the top two spots. I don't know. We'll see. If they draw the Jazz, I think that would be a very, very, very competitive series. And we'll see how it goes from there. But I don't want to do Suns talk again. This is positive. I'm praising Monty Williams and saying I want great things for him. Yeah, all right. All right. What do you want next, Logan? I, I got another trade proposition here that we've gone over. Um, I, I still want the Sixers to acquire a really talented guard. Uh. Something that happened versus the Celtics really stuck out to me. Carson, over 60% of all of the Sixers' offense in this game came from Seth Curry, Joel Embiid, and Tobias Harris. And I just think, when it comes playoff time, man, I, again, I think this is stating the obvious for people who listen to Nerd Sesh and watch. They need another guy. Like, Tyrese Maxey can be really good for this team. He can be really good for this team come playoff time, but I still don't think it's going to be enough to win the East. I want the Sixers to acquire a star guard, man. If that is Damian Lillard, if that is C.J. McCollum, if that is Karis LeVert, uh, if it's I saw some three-team deal for them to acquire SGA, 
I don't care who it is, man. I, I want the Sixers to get another guard who can take some weight off, who can make some tough shots, who can be another dependable go-to guy late in games. Like, it was really impressive, man. I don't know if you watched the Celtics game, Carson. Watching Joel Embiid close that game out was something special, man. Like, it's just, it's unguardable offense. Him out of that mid-range, man, is, it's deadly. He's, it's just, it's just unblockable. Like, that fade away from the corner where he was double-teamed was just nasty. The tough buckets he was getting out of the mid-range were just insane. And, like, I trust, I trust Embiid to carry this offense and to help them close out games. I trust Embiid to carry this offense throughout the entirety of games. But I know they need another guy, man. Like, I just know they need one more, and I think this team could genuinely go to the NBA Finals. Maybe not a Karis Levert, but if they got a McCollum or a Lillard or an SGA, I would 100% uh, put that team in my Finals conversation. So, this is a long shot. I don't really think it's going to happen. This is why it's a Christmas wish list, because we're making a wish. I don't really think this is going to happen for Philadelphia, but... I so desperately just want them to shit-can Ben Simmons and to find a really good point guard that can take them over the top. Um, So, yeah, that's my wish, man. I don't know how it happens. I don't know what trade they could possibly make, but I want them to get in a star guard. Yeah, this is what a wish list is for. I mean, I would love to see it too. I just really don't know how it happens right now. I mean, if Dame isn't on the table, if they don't want CJ, you look around the league and it's like... Can't trade for Malcolm Brogdon, even though the paces are available. I actually wouldn't want Levert. I don't think he can do a better job than Maxi and Seth Curry do in combination. Like, those guys are just more efficient, and their raw production is going to be similar. I just look around, man, and with the Wizards being a competitive team and how loyal Bradley Beal has been... The fact that he hasn't even been good, and I mean, obviously they've regressed dramatically, and they might not even <laughs> make the play-in by the end of the year, like because the East is going to be tough, man, and they're not playing good basketball right now. I don't think that he's going to be moved. I just don't know how it happens. Look, this is something that we've wanted forever. I mean, this is something I wanted when Ben Simmons was on their roster. It's been a clear missing piece for them, but I just don't see it. I don't see where it's happening. But this is what Santa's for, right? He comes in and he somehow makes it happen, I think. All these are actually going to happen, I think. Are you telling me they need to pull the trigger on a John Wall trade, Carson? Logan, do I think Wendy's was right to get rid of the four for four? (laughs) What are you talking about? Why would they get John Wall? No, absolutely not. What a disaster that would be. Zero chance. I think this is a quick one, okay? We can both agree that we want this to happen. We want the star guard to find his way to Philly, but it's not going to happen, I don't think. Doesn't seem to be. It would be a Christmas miracle. It would be a Christmas miracle indeed. All right, well, I'll keep things moving here. And I just shouted out one man who I would like to see win an award. I would like to see Steph Curry, and this is a long-term wish, but by the end of this year, Win his third MVP, win his fourth title, and win his first finals MVP. And I think all those things are very much in the cards. Because, well, obviously, it's pretty intuitive, I would say. He's on one of the best teams in the league and is obviously by far their best player. But he's the MVP betting favorite right now while he's shooting a career-low percentage from three and the worst percentage from two 
since he became an all-star, nearly 7% worse than last year, and still is having this immense impact on overall team success, and they've been so unbelievable defensively. And again, he's just obviously the face and a guy who a lot of people would probably say is the best player in the league. Warriors are 24-5 and when he plays, and they don't have Klay Thompson. Things are going to get a lot better from here. So everything is kind of lining up for at least the MVP, right? The competition is going to be very stiff because of Jokic and KD, but the Warriors are going to have the best record. And as Steph just continues to play better, which will happen, I think he will have the strongest case. Then you'll get their playoff aspirations because they've got to win it all for this, right? Well, nobody has a better defense than the Warriors. Their depth is exceptional. And certainly if they do win it, there is nobody there to challenge him for finals MVP, certainly. And this is the one that I will always key in on because is it the most meaningful? Well, no, it's more important that he wins MVP. It's more important that he wins a title, but it's always worth reiterating the craziness that he doesn't have one, man, because Steph Curry in his career has three NBA titles, has averaged in the finals 26 and a half, six and six on 59% true shooting, and he doesn't have a finals MVP. In 2015, he was 26, five and six on 58.5% true shooting. In 2017, he was 27, 8, and 9.5 on 62% true shooting. Those numbers didn't win the man a finals MVP. In 2018, he was 27.5, 6, and 7 on 56% true shooting. Just because he had one game that was bad, he didn't win finals MVP. And then 2019, they lost the series, but he was 30.5, 5, and 6 on 60% true shooting. So the dude had one bad final series while he was hurt. Outside of that, He's been consistently outstanding, even if he hasn't always been up to Steph Curry standards. I mean, the guy is still, out of multiple time title winners, sixth all-time in finals points per game, higher than Kobe, higher than Larry Bird, higher than a whole bunch of guys, on good efficiency, and he has no individual hardware to show for it. So, yes, of course I want to see Steph cement his legacy in every way, because the KD years will always be weird as far as his legacy, right? Steph goes from being this unbelievable world-changing unanimous MVP to all of a sudden, like maybe the second guy on his own team. 2019 had a chance to do it on his own, but it was just way too much to ask, obviously, once Clay got hurt. Then you have a wasted season. Then you have him play maybe his best basketball ever, but the components around him just aren't there. And now finally again here with 33-year-old Steph, all of the elements are there. For this to happen and him to really enter the conversation as a top 10 player of all time. It's a tough thing to break through. I would have Shaq as my 10th guy right now. I don't know if this puts Steph above him, but the fourth title, the third MVP, you are entering rarefied air with those two. And then for him to finally have a finals MVP would be unbelievable. I want to see it all happen. I think it really, really can. And oh, it would just bring my heart so much joy. Yeah, I mean, this is a great wish. I want all this to happen this season, too. I'm not a Dubs fan, but I love Steph. Uh, I think he's the best player in the game right now. I think he's the... And I really want him to add a finals MVP to his collection. Uh, I think you're I think you're wrong, though, Carson. I don't think he's, he would be the obvious no-brainer, though, man. I think Iggy could come in there and, you know, somehow steal it again. <laughs> he comes in there and averages a sick 14-3-2 on 50-35 splits. I think they might give it to JTA. Well, because think about what JTA means to the community. I mean, <laughs> he's a Bay Area kid. He went to San Leandro High School. You know, he grinded. He worked hard. He embodied what 
I was going to say Oakland is all about, but the Warriors don't play in Oakland anymore, Logan. They play in San Francisco in a big, shiny arena in the big city, and it is an unbelievable arena. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, but they took the team from Oakland, and it's a crime. Yeah, and nobody that embodies that mentality uh, nobody embodies that mentality better than Gary Payton II, and that's why he's going to win finals MVP, you know? Um, Another Oakland kid. Is he actually... Yeah, his dad's from Oakland, and I'm pretty sure GP2 was born in Oakland. Shout out, dude. Oregon State Beaver. Yeah. Nah, dude, I want I want Steph to win a finals MVP. Because, I mean, honestly, dude, that's what... Like, if Steph doesn't get one, man, that really keeps him... Like, that really is going to take him down a notch legacy-wise for his career. People are never going to let him... Even though I think smart, intelligent basketball people in the community know... Steph got robbed. That was his finals MVP. That wasn't Iggy's finals MVP. That's a dark stain on his resume if he never gets one, man. Yeah, for the record, terrible take by me. I probably could have used some deductive reasoning about the fact that when Gary Payton II was born in 1992, uh, he probably would have been born in Seattle when that happened, (laughs) using context clues. And then, you know... Throughout his childhood, live I don't know where his father, who was playing in the NBA, quite famously lived. That's t- that a terrible take by me. But think about it. He has Oakland lineage still, okay? So it counts. All right, what's next on your wish list? You Oakland guys want to run the world, man. It makes me sick. Um, we're going to go from Oakland to Oklahoma City. And my Christmas wish for the Oklahoma City Thunder is I want more Trey, man. Um, I loved this guy pre-draft, man. The change of pace, the burst, his size, his feel for the game, his mid-range game, his floater touch. Like, I loved everything pre-draft out of Florida. Over the last 12 games, they've given him about 20 a night. He's been putting up nine points on 39-39 splits. Nothing mind-blowing. But he had a 17-point game versus Houston. He had a 19-point game versus uh, the Lakers. And I thought that 73-point loss, Carson, really showcased how few perimeter shot creators the Thunder really have. Like, you can turn on a game, and you can put those pieces together for yourself. When you're watching Lou Dort, you know, take his massive shoulder and just run into the lane and try to go get a bucket. When Lou Dort is hucking up as many threes as he is. When, oh man, dude, there was this real one really bad possession, Carson, during the uh, Clippers game. Josh Giddy gets the ball, man. Uh, gets his shit packed uh, at the rim, loses the rock, immediately calls for it back. I think ends up losing the ball again, uh, kicks it over to Baisley, kicks it over to JRE as the shot clock expires, and then JRE proceeds to, like, uh, airball a three. Like, the Thunder offense is just a mess sometimes, man. It is ugly to watch, and again, man, you go back and you watch that Grizzlies game without... uh, uh, just ugly without SGA and there is no offense there is nobody to create uh Trey scores 12 points in that game like I genuinely I genuinely think that Trey Mann is the second best perimeter creator here maybe you can say Ty Jerome maybe if you're feeling froggy you think Lou Dort is just better by volume I don't know man Uh, there's nobody else that I trust to go get a bucket more from the perimeter with the ball in their hands than SGA on this roster than Trey like uh 
for Christmas, I want man to be cemented as the sixth man of this team, and I want to let him run the bench, man. Like I said, he's got a good handle, nice change of pace. He is a nice step-back three game. They haven't been falling, but it is such a good move for him. He's got a solid mid-range game. He's a crafty finisher around the rack. The floater, he goes to it in the league. He is, he's Again, he hasn't been knocking down a whole lot of them, but he gets to the shot effortlessly. I, I think... Uh, facilitating is going to come with time. He's kind of just a straight-up scorer right now. That's why I think the six-man role works. But for Christmas, I want more Trey Mann because I think this kid, I think he's the steal of the 2021 draft. Like, I think he is going to be one of the best guards uh, from this draft class when it's all said and done, and we're looking back at this. Love this take, 100%. I mean, the Thunder offense, although they are red hot right now and won three straight, is just hideous. Oh, it's absolutely hideous. And having Lou Dort be your second volume guy is never a good thing. And people talk about how they love Lou Dort. I think they just love the chaos. I think that they just love seeing a guy just barrel his way downhill and see what happens. Because I don't. he's not a beautiful basketball player, but he's a dog and he competes and he finds a way to be productive. But absolutely, man. I mean, I, I frankly hate watching several Thunder players try to score, including Darius Baisley who continues to somehow be a starting NBA player and lost all hope on him. But yeah, man, Trey Mann, he's a little bucket. He's certainly got the makings of a big-time bucket and does some very distinct things as a shot creator that are impressive and has had his moments. So I don't have a ton to add. I mean, we're talking about, you know, a bench player for the Oklahoma City Thunder right now, but he's a fun one and he's a promising one. And I would like to see this too because why not? You know, you're going to play Poku. And I know that they play pretty similar amounts, the two of them. But really, that's not fair because Poku is still unbelievably bad. Unbelievably bad. So I'm with this one. Here's my fifth item on my holiday wish list. I want to see all NBA Carl Anthony Towns again. And I just want to see him get some love, man. I just want to see some cat love. Unfortunate timing. He is now in COVID protocols today. Very, very unfortunate. Obviously, especially given what he's been through personally and how he feels about the virus. But I have just loved seeing things go right for Cat, man. Because after playing 35 games for a 19-win team and then 50 games for a 23-win team, Cat and the Minnesota Timberwolves are back. They are highly competitive and they are going to be a play-in team. And for a guy who, to me is every bit one of the most talented offensive bigs we've ever seen, revolutionary at the position damn near, for him to be 26 and not been an all-star since 2019, having not been all-NBA since 2018, and having been on just completely irrelevant, miserable teams, it's awesome to see this. And he's putting up 24.5, 9.5 on 51-43-83 splits. I have repeatedly raved about how special I think Cat is, and I don't feel the need to really do that anymore as far as his skill set, but it's unbelievable offensively the different phases he can dominate in out of the post where he's been exceptional this year as the greatest three-point shooting big that we've ever seen. His facilitating is so impressive, and by the way, he's playing his best defense ever, and that's always been something he's been much maligned for, and right now he's holding people 3% below their average field goal percentage, and he's doing so for a good team defense, and is just consistently locked in and competitive there as is the Timberwolves' identity as a team. So I love it, man. I have always been adamantly on the cat train. I cannot believe how much distaste there is for Carl Anthony Towns, dude. It is like he is the ultimate victim of the 
your team doesn't win, so you must suck. Like, I don't know what it is. If people think that he's soft or like, I've heard so many people talk about how he doesn't have the mindset or whatever. I don't care, bro. That dude is born with as much natural ability as like maybe 10 other NBA players on the planet right now, dude. Like, it's pretty freaky how gifted Carl Anthony Towns is. And the production has consistently been there. It just hasn't been a remotely competent situation around him. And now that you have that, and really that's all that the Timberwolves do have is competence at this point. They just have guys who play hard and they have a couple other legitimate high-end scorers who are inconsistent and often inefficient, but are good enough. You're seeing what he can do as the clear far and away best player on a legitimate team. But that's another thing, dude. People talk about like, or I've seen this at least, Ant really might be the best player on a playoff team. And it's like, no, not at all. Anthony Edwards is going to be, I think, an MVP caliber player. I think he's going to be outstanding. But like, his game is just not nearly refined to the extent that Carl Anthony Towns is right now when you're talking about blending efficiency and playmaking and versatility. And by the way, the Timberwolves have been 11 points per 100 possessions better with Cat this year. It's just awesome. He's going to be all NBA. He's certainly a better basketball player than Rudy Gobert, so we can boot him right out of that spot now that he's finally healthy and winning some games. And I am loving, just loving to see it because I love me some Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, man. Thank you, bro. I was going to bring this up uh, about Cat. I, I, I read all kinds of stuff about what an empty stats, empty score, empty numbers kind of guy Cat was, and I just don't get like you said, man, people take results and they take the numbers and then they just formulate their own opinions based off of the results because he was on one of the worst teams in the NBA. Like, it's a it's a stupid narrative. It's a very stupid narrative. Cat has always been one of the most talented big men in the league. He's the greatest. He came out and said it himself. He's the greatest shooting big man of all time. And I don't get how. Damn right. Dude, I said that to my dad. And he like, uh. I don't know, man. He had, he had a little he had a little beef with it. I was like, "Who are you gonna take, like, Bill Lambeer? Like, I don't know who these old heads are gonna pull out." <laughs> like, um, no, yeah. Let me know when you see a seven footer shooting volume step back threes, even today, anywhere other than Carl Anthony Towns. That's what I'm saying, bro. Like, uh, and hitting them at a forty something percent clip. Let me ask you this: like, this is a little bit of a side tangent. Do you think both both the best two shooting big men are playing in the league right now, like Cat and then Kristaps? I would say, are we talking about exclusively three-point shooting or jump shooting? Or, or do you think Jokic is above Kristaps? Uh, well, I would have Dirk in this tier as oh, well. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. I would probably have Dirk second, Jokic third, and Kristaps fourth. But it's tough because Jokic is obviously a historically and presently more accurate shooter than KP. KP also does it in different ways, though. I mean, you know, just flinging it, highly contested, all higher volume. KP <laughs> is not a, a good shooting year, though. So I'll go with Jokic just because, like, I mean, he's now at the point where it's consistently high 30s and on significant volume, too. But it's certainly a lot of them going right now. All right, so, yes, give Cat his respect. Give him his just due. He's been loyal, he's been through a hell of a lot, and he has consistently just balled out, and I don't know why he has been so antagonized. It kind of bums me out, but the dude is a monster. All right, Logan, last item on your holiday wish list here. What do you got? 
So I got two things, because one of these we've already discussed a little bit. Uh, first, I, I just want COVID to, like, disperse and leave us alone and, and never return. I wanted them to get banished to, like, the sunken place. That'd Great be sweet, take. dude. Love if, that If, like, take. we could just never see it again. You know, like, you've seen, you've seen Narnia, right? No. Like, where they step into the closet and they go into a different world. How about we take all the COVID in the world, we walk into that closet, and we just, like, banish it to Narnia forever. That'd be sweet. In all seriousness, yeah, I want it gone. It's rescheduled 10 games thus far. We're getting close to 100 players in COVID protocol. We have put the Raptors in bowl seasons completely on hold. We forced the Nets to bring their entire G League roster up. I like seeing the G League guys. I'm glad they're getting some burn. I also want the best basketball possible. One man can only take so much of, what's that guy's name, Masani Gravette for the, for the Magic? That guy's actually pretty nice. I can't take much more. So I have a very niche take as my uh, as my follow-ups to this. Mm. I want the Clippers to get some depth at center because I think I think they literally have the two least switchable big men in the NBA today. They have Avica Zubac as their second guy. Look, I love him, right? He's a Zubac is a weird guy in the sense that like I I don't like him traditionally and just what he brings to a team. He's like the modern version of a guy like Kendrick Perkins, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Like, big guys don't really do anything exceptionally well, but they're just big. They play hard on the glass. Like, Zubac has a decent little post game. He's got some decent touch. Like, I'm not saying... He's got touch. You get what I'm saying. I'm not saying that he's, like, completely worthless, but in the context of today's NBA, he doesn't really do anything outstanding. And... When guys drag him out to the perimeter, man, against the uh, – who are they playing? Was it the – it might have been the Thunder game. Damn, I'm trying to think about which game it was that I just watched. But anyway, Subach keeps getting drug out there and three ball, three ball on his head. And then I'm like, uh, yeah, Subach has always been horrible. I mean, you guys – we all have a reel of Luka Doncic highlights with Zubach specifically where you get that switch and he just cooks him. Because I like Ibaka. I really like Ibaka. I think he can really help this team down the road. And again, I don't think Zubac is a terrible center, but who's their other backup center? Isaiah Hardenstein, also one of my least favorite NBA big men. Really similar similar to Avica Zubac. Not super switchable, slow feet, not super agile, decent touch around the rim, tenacious on the glass, big, lanky, white dude, right? Like, really same profile, but the big thing is that they're not switchable. They are... Zero switchability defensively. Zero versatility. They get cooked any time they get brought out to the perimeter. Go back and watch some Isaiah Hardenstein G League highlights and you'll watch him getting cooked. Yes, you know, I just wanted to get this one out there. Uh, A super niche take here for some LA Clippers fans. I do not like their long-term center depth. Um, And it sucks. It's weird, man, because... This team likes to run a lot of that small ball, um, you know, space the floor. So it makes sense that you'd want to have one big guy to crash the glass. But I just... I'm going to choose defensive versatility over just having a big guy on the floor at all times. So uh, I want another big man into the fold here, and I want him to be just a little more switchable than Zubac or Hardenstein. I think what's going to happen, and I'd be pretty confident saying this, is that come playoff time, they're just not going to have a backup big. I don't think Hardenstein is really going to play. I mean, Zubac's minutes go down. Like, they just lean way into the small ball. It'll depend on the matchup, sure. I don't see this as a position of need, though, just because I do still have confidence in them playing quality small ball. And that dynamic has been changed without Kawhi. It's not as much of a viable option. And they definitely need Ibaka, I would say, this year to make that work. But 
I don't think that this is something that they really need to address because, again, of the construction of their roster. And we've seen them cope with subpar play from bigs previously and just not really playing them very much at all. We saw it against the Mavs last year. I will say, look, I understand why it's very easy to key in on guys like Zubots and Hartenstein and say, oh, they're relics of a bygone era and, (laughs) you know, they're these stiff, not switchable guys and they don't space the floor. And that is all true and fair. What I will say, though, is I wouldn't compare guys who are seven feet tall and pretty physical and have really nice touch and are going to score at like 67% from the field, which they're both doing, and eat up rebounds to 6'10", 270 Kendrick Perkins who couldn't do anything well and like straight up would not be on an NBA roster today. Okay, it's a little bit different. You knew exactly what I meant with that, bruh. Guys who just... I just think sometimes I got to fight back for the <laughs> classic big men, okay? Because I look at them and I think, yes, we all know these guys aren't super valuable, but they still have skill sets. And sometimes Evita Zubats comes into a game and for 10 minutes, there's no answer to him. And he scores five buckets in a row and he gets four offensive rebounds. And I feel a need to respect that because we're nerds and we go the other way a lot. But I got to respect those guys because it's not like it's ugly basketball. I mean, sure, yeah, he'll get cooked by Luka a million times in a row and you can't play him in meaningful spots. But it's like Ennis Cantor before he became Ennis Cantor Freedom. I never thought that's a guy who I want to have on my team. But I did think that's a guy who can be fun to watch. I mean, he's different level. He's more skilled post score. Like he kind of was an artist. And he also was not a good basketball player when it comes to winning. These are the dynamics we must toggle as NBA fans in today. Is he Ennis Cantor Freedom? I thought he was just Ennis Freedom now. Everybody's been calling him Ennis Freedom, but I thought it was originally Ennis Cantor Freedom. Yeah, so did I. That's exactly what I thought. Let's see. It is. It's Ennis Cantor Freedom? No. Maybe it's just Ennis Freedom. Basketball Reference is telling me both right now. I don't know. All right, what's a what's a better name? Are are you are you a bigger Metal World Peace guy or are you a bigger Ennis Freedom guy? Come on, dude. Metal World Peace all the way. All okay, the what way. About, what about Meta or World Be Free? World Be Free is the goat, dude. How can anything ever beat World <laughs> Be Free? That's sick. Man was a genius. I mean, probably. G- Probably Jelly Bean Bryant. That's a that's a fire name. And by the way, World Be Free, and this is the thing people don't talk about enough. Dude got to upgrade from Lloyd. His name was Lloyd. Yeah. <laughs> an awful name, an F-tier name. If your name is Lloyd and you're listening to this, we love you all the same. But I, Lord knows I wouldn't want to be named Lloyd. You kidding me? Yeah. Drink that dude, in, I th- dude. I think we should clip. I think we should clip that and put that on Twitter and just piss off everybody named Lloyd. Good. Let's do it. See what happens. All right. Well, I've got one more wish here, and I really don't have a ton to say about it. We've talked about this team a decent amount, but I just really want to see the Knicks turn it around because it's become such a sad year for them after the glorious. Bing bongification of their first five games. They're 14 and 17. <laughs> They're 12th in the East. D Rose is out for eight weeks with ankle surgery. And again, not a single player on their roster probably has played up to expectations, except maybe D Rose, who is now hurt. And 
Last year, I was very consistently the anti-Knicks guy. And I said, look, we don't know how sustainable this production from Julius Randle is. It's way too much of a burden on him. This offense is just not good. And they're not going to be capable of winning a playoff series. That was my take. And then I thought, hey, I really like the Fournier and Kemba additions. At the very least, more talented offensive players. I thought their depth is great. How could this not be like, at the very least, a playoff team? And early in the year, I thought, a top five team in the East. And consistently, they have just not even played close to that potential. And they've been awful defensively. And Julius Randle is under 20 a game on 42% from the field and 33% from three. And RJ isn't playing like he was towards the back half of last year. And Fournier has been very eh. Kemba, obviously, we know out of the rotation. Alec Burke's playing a, a whole lot for my taste. And just everything has gone so far south. And I really am just bummed by it. And I feel bad for the Knicks because now they have kind of committed to this roster. And it's like, wow, were they really just completely fooled by last year? Because again, man, I would have said if they kept the same roster, boy, nobody's going to regress more than the Knicks. That was my expectation. Then I thought they got better. And it turns out those moves just didn't actually make them better. And I would like to see that change. But if not, dude, it's like they're going to be looking at this world where, oh boy, we're paying Julius Randle and Evan Fournier. And what are we doing with Tibbs? Like, is he really a good NBA coach in 2021? And just where are they headed from here? Obi? Okay, well now, if we don't have good things going on elsewhere, maybe our expectation changes from, hey, good role player improved in year two to wait, he was our top 10 pick. Like that guy needs to be a star, but Obi's not going to be a star. I just worry about all these things for where the Knicks are headed. I want New York basketball to be good. I thought this was going to be a really good season for them and they could build on what was sort of a fun but not sustainable thing last year and they haven't whatsoever. And I hope that that changes. They should still be a playing team, man. It's like everything has gone wrong for them. But we're 31 games in, and there comes a point where you just are who you are as a team. And the Knicks are nearing that point. But I hope they get it switched around. Dude, it really is sad, man. The Knicks started out with more hope and optimism than any other team in the association, bruh. After that Celtics game, everybody, oh, man, Evan Fournier was on fire. Kemba was hitting shots. Sad. We've at least been able to see a lot of Quentin Grimes and Deuce McBride, both both fine gentlemen who, who I love watching play very much. Um, no, dude, this would be the biggest. I don't want to think about that reality, Carson. I don't want to think about that reality where they don't figure this out, where they're paying Julius Randle, where they're kind of directionless. No, they need to figure it out. They need to play Kemba. They need to get healthy. Uh I think I still think things will sort themselves out, though. I still think this team is easily a playoff team. Certainly should be, man. But I couldn't say that with any degree of confidence. The East is tough, bro. Like, let's see them become a play-in team again. That should still happen. But good Lord, dude. And now the D-Rose injury, it's just like, holy salt in the wound, man. What a bummer. Knicks fans, know that we're pulling for you here at Nerd Sesh. We want good things for you. But uh, bing bong, the Knicks are dead. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to all. We will not speak with you guys again before Santa comes and gives everybody presents. But as always, it's been an absolute pleasure. This is a fun one, a little bit of optimism, a little bit of holiday spirit. If you want to stick with it, 
stay pumped, excited, high on life, and high on Nerd Sesh, well, the good news is we're everywhere. You can find us on YouTube, where we normally live stream our three shows a week. Everything's a little bit different over the holiday season because we're not doing quite as much content and we aren't able to get it on YouTube, but always tune in there. You can also find our video essays, video content there. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your audio content for the podcasts. Check out our website, nerdsesh.com. Follow us on social media. Twitter is at nerd underscore sesh. Instagram and TikTok are both at nerdsesh. Logan, any final message for the people here as it is holiday season? Yeah, Merry freaking Christmas. And Die Hard's a Christmas movie. I'm going to die on that hill. I love that. Die Hard on that hill. All right. As always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.